Hello, friends. How are you? I hope you're all okay. It's Kel Spellman here to bring you the final episode of the first series of Call of the Wild. Now, in this final episode, I am bringing you a longer chat with the wonderful, incredibly inspiring Poppy Akotcha. Queen of all things gardening, horticultural expert, and of course, the newest WWF UK ambassador. We had a brilliant, free-flowing chat about what she learned about living on a houseboat. How cool is that? The joys and worries of escaping the rat race, something I think we can all relate to. And how to wild up even the smallest of spaces wherever you are, even in the city. And of course, we spoke about allotments. I mean, it would have been rude not to, really. I do hope you enjoy As a, as a bit of a gardener myself, I've got an allotment with three of my best friends. We're big fans of your work. Nice. Oh, that's <laughs> so good to hear. I love that you have, an, have a shared allotment, not just for you, but a few of you getting stuck in. That's it. It's a real kind of a special like, group community thing for us, really. And, and we've got it up north. And actually, it's kind of when people see the plot, it's huge. So yeah. actually, I think it, it needs a few pairs of hands. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? OK, cool. So how long have you had it? Well, we had, an, we, had a, we had a plot a couple of years ago. We had it for about two years. And that was really kind of actually a big learning curve for us all, mm-hmm. just because we didn't really know what we were doing. And then between us, we all started working, couldn't really put the time into it we wanted to. So we gave it a rest. And then this new plot we've had for about, I'd say about 18 months nice. now. Um, kind of got it just before that first lockdown. So actually kind of perfect timing for us just to go and put some time and energy into it. But it's just, as you know, you just, it's just the best thing in the world, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. That's amazing. Such a nice project to do with friends as well really really is well we're going to get into all things gardening in a little bit but um i guess speaking of gardens you know we've got public ones we've got private ones we know that some of them can be extremely beautiful of course but sometimes the ones that look the most beautiful and pretty might not necessarily be the most beneficial for that local environment and for all the kind of subspecies and and soil networks that exist there We've been talking about kind of rewilding and I guess, you know, there's a balance, isn't there, to be found but trying to make something look beautiful but actually maybe sometimes leaving things to just be wild is probably a more beneficial thing for the local environment and ecosystems. Yeah, so I think that at the moment uh, the concept of rewilding is really exciting. It's like something that's recently gained traction and kind of entered the like public realm I suppose like we all have heard of the term rewilding nowadays but it's a tricky one because rewilding in its kind of purest form requires quite a large quantity of land it requires the kind of actions of grazing herbivores it requires a whole functioning ecosystem that can like really push the kind of development of a really vibrant and biodiverse landscape And in smaller spaces like our gardens or even, you know, public parks, that kind of level of um, wilderness isn't necessarily always possible. So I think that um, sometimes when we talk about rewilding our gardens, for example, what we're talking about isn't necessarily rewilding because we can't have like, you know, a herd of buffalo traipsing through our back garden <laughs> with like, you know, wolves chasing after them. It's just like, you know, it's not going to happen. But what we can do is look at natural landscapes, which are really highly functioning and try and choo- pick and choose elements of those that we can try and incorporate into our spaces. I guess, as you're saying, that kind of wild 
wilder look, which isn't always aesthetically pleasing. I think so much of it is about like reframing our understanding of what life is, because when we understand that like those patches of nettles support so much life, I think it makes it more beautiful because you know, we understand that it's like thriving and it's producing and it's like this beautiful thing rather than a kind of disengaged part of the landscape that's not necessarily supporting anything particularly. So then we start to look at stuff like incorporating native species into our gardens, um, improving the diversity of habitat, like including a pond is just the best thing. Even on a balcony, like a little tray of water is a really good thing to have. Um, So yeah, I think having wild spaces is really really important but also understanding that like in a smaller landscape we do have to we we it's almost entirely necessary for humans to like start to interact to improve it because we just don't have the like scale of a natural wilderness so our input is really valuable um in a smaller space yeah and you know that i mean the thing with me with rewilding it is, and I think you've 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 kind of painted it and summed it up so beautifully and succinctly there, Poppy. But even if I was to take your garden as an example, or even for mine, okay, maybe it might not necessarily be that thing of we've rewilded rewilded it, but in the same breath you look at it and go, actually, that is a, a a natural green space that is very much working and living cohesively with each other and with all the parts of the circle. And for me, that is a rewilded space it's not necessarily the rewilding that we're talking about we talked about in this podcast so far but you've actually created a space where nature plants and yourself can thrive and I think that's what we've got to strive for I think we have got the big picture stuff but this smaller picture stuff of rewilding I think my term of rewilding is just as important definitely I totally agree and like trying to incorporate spaces for creatures beyond ourselves to exist because you know they create a healthy garden in any case you know bringing the the predators for pests in is what is a healthy ecosystem have you noticed with your garden for instance and that wild space there how that kind of is just over time really taken on a life of its own and surprised you with kind of how much it's rejuvenated the area so to speak yeah i think that that's something that always surprises me like the the will the willpower of the land I suppose like yeah. <laughs> um there was one time when I was gardening at the side of canal and there were these massive willow trees along the plot and I was just like trying to grow plants in this space that was very very deeply shaded through most of the summer and for ages it was this battle of like trying to make you know clear pockets of sun for sunlight to come through and in the end I was just like do you know what these willow trees have been here far longer than I have and they know exactly what they want to do and I think yeah when when you sort of start to listen to a landscape you do see how incredibly powerful it is and then at that stage I went okay I'll leave these willows to do their thing and you see how much life they're actually supporting so I think yeah it's quite humbling when you do start to see how a landscape can just kind of like get going on its own and that's one of the things that always brings me hope and you know David Attenborough has has talked about this as well that actually the the resilience but also the power that nature has to Mm. restore itself is quite unquantifiable it's I think it's far bigger than any of us actually realize to be honest with you we just don't give it its time and space to do it but if we do it will it will absolutely bloom. You mentioned there by the canal. Was that when you lived on a houseboat? Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> See, now that is something has always been, I don't know, a form of pipe dream. You know, I've always thought that I've got that in me, I think. How was that? 
Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I was living in London at the time and I don't think I could have hacked London for as long as I did not on the canal because it's like a really wonderful way to be connected with the natural world because you're surrounded by water life and things are just a little bit slower on the water, I guess. Um, The other thing that was good about it was that because the boat is floating along, you're not plugged into, you know, electricity, you don't get men come and collecting your rubbish. You're kind of not self-sufficient, but you're certainly more dependent on yourself for producing what you need. And so you start to really understand the value of electricity, which we'd produce from our solar panels. You start to realise just how much waste you produce that you need to deal with, be that from the kitchen, from packaging, from like us as people, like our pee and our poo. Like when you don't get to just flush that down the loo, you start to wonder, okay, so what what is this? Like, is it useful? Like, you know, all these questions. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, most of it is useful. And you start to kind of get creative about how to um, how to live a more circular um, life um, and really value like what you've got because it's finite. Do you think as well that probably really helped set you up to then go and to your next step you know I know you're kind of down in Devon now with your garden but it kind of taught you a lot of those lessons there that then you were able to implement and bring to kind of not being on a houseboat and maybe in a more traditional space so to speak yeah 100% I feel like what I learned living on the water was like yeah it's really changed how I interface with the resources that we have there's also something funny about when you're on the canal you're moving you're transient you've not got like a set plot or like location and so you sort of feel a sense of I don't know if ownership's the right word but responsibility for a landscape like quite a broad area when I've noticed coming to a house and having like a garden with its boundaries marked out that I feel more of a sense of responsibility for like my bit and I think that that contrasts so interestingly with that feeling of this whole waterway is part of my responsibility and part of my responsibility with these other boaters. So I think that that's been really interesting coming from a more transient lifestyle to one that has boundaries on it. Being in such a small space, and you know, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially as you, you know, if you've been brought up in a city as you were when you were younger. Sometimes people say, I've not got the space to be able to create some wild spaces or, or do a little bit maybe for my local bit, you know, nature and, and environment. What would you say to that? Because you were obviously quite limited by space, but I'm guessing you still managed to find ways to do it. Yeah, I'd say if there's a will, there's a way because like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it just depends on like what you're trying to achieve. Like, of course, if you're in a flat in London, you've not got any outdoor space, you're probably not going to grow like a whole year supply of squashes. But what you might be able to do is grow sprouts all year round in your windowsill. And that is actually really cool experience because you get to see a seed germinate what like looks essentially like a little pebble or grain of sand turning into life and then feeding you and that is super cool um and then you know having window boxes growing planters on the balcony I was growing food on the roof of um the boat um there's so many sort of solutions and then beyond that looking at community gardens or even guerrilla gardening Mm, so so impressive poppy and honestly i can say this there is no greater feeling we we got our first bit of broccoli the other week and uh there is no greater feeling having known you've put that seed in the ground and then kind of when you've done the full circle and eaten it it's just 
Brilliant. It is just the magic. It is. <laughs> um, just for people who are listening who might not know, gorilla gardening, do tell us a little bit more about that. What's that? Yeah, so gorilla gardening is the idea of basically going and finding a bit of land that is not being tended and tending it, not necessarily getting permission, but, you know, seeing a bare patch of land on the pavement or around a tree or something and maybe putting some seeds in there or some bulbs and making it into a space that's really beautiful um, for you and the community, maybe even productive. And that's basically gorilla gardening in a nutshell. <laughs> Love that. Everyone listening, I think we've all got a duty now to go find a little bit of patch. An unused patch will all become gorilla gardeners. Um, final quick word on the gardeners, because pesticides, obviously, is something that is mm. talked about a hell of a lot. And I think we're all very aware of the catastrophic effect that some of these pesticides are having. How? What has been your answer to pesticides? Because, um, you know, for people that maybe use them or do we have to use them? Do gardeners have to use them? And how? what are the alternatives? Yeah, so I'm an organic grower. It's funny, I sometimes forget to like even mention that because it just feels so like intuitive or obvious to me. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Like not everybody will know. And, you know, fair enough because there is um, a lot of vested interest in ensuring that people do continue spending their money on products that we don't really need. Oh, e.g. Yes. pesticides um <laughs> so so for me pesticides are not an ideal solution because what they end up doing for example if you're trying to kill a certain insect is that then you kill it for a period of time its predator has no food so it leaves your growing space and then the pesticide eventually stops working and then the pest comes back in force um with no predator to manage it and then you have to go back to your pesticides so you get kind of stuck in this like vicious circle um for me the better solution is to not spend my money on toxic chemicals which are bad for me and various creatures but um instead to try and cultivate a healthy diverse ecosystem which has those predators there and which has balance and to understand that um it's not about eradicating a pest but getting it to a manageable level so for example my garden is full of slugs and they do nibble on the kale but it's okay <laughs> because enough is left behind for me you know so we're sharing and we're sharing not to a point where the slugs are having everything and I just have a tiny bit but it works it's balanced um, I have chickens in my garden and they pretty much deal with all the slugs and snails. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. I love that. Also as well, one of the things I've learned, it was actually um, through one of my friends who I have the allotment with about companion planting as yes. well, is actually yeah. you can find plants that you can put around your crop that are actually either going to, you know, distract the, the pest, so to speak, or maybe they'll let off a little smell that maybe that pest doesn't quite like. So totally. the natural remedies are all out there. It's just, um, as with most things in every area of this conversation we've spoken about so far, it doesn't seem to be at the forefront of everyone's thinking or particularly mm. the big businesses and governments don't seem to lead with those um, remedies, so to speak. And I think that's like some of the beauty of working in community gardens or allotment spaces that, that you get to tap into like old man Fred who's been doing this for like donkey's years and knows all the tips and tricks. And I think that's just like such a great way of learning just from like, yeah. you know, the people that are doing it and doing it for years. Them pearls of wisdom. And, and then that's also into that thing of, you know, why particularly the indigenous communities and people around the world, their, their wisdom and knowledge that they have is invaluable. I don't think you can even put a price in it. And that has to be protected because there's so much there we can learn from it rather than just trying to brush it aside. But that's a conversation for another day. Can I, I recommend a book on that note? Is that yeah, allowed? Yeah, braiding, braiding Sweetgrass. I just think it's the most incredible, incredible book that taps into that kind of, yeah, what you were just saying. Robin Wall Kimmerer, she's a um, 
indigenous woman and also a scientist so she kind of like weds the two like knowledge sets together which is really cool Hey, nice. Well, thank you there. Recommended by Poppy. Lovely stuff. We love that. (laughs) Going back to as well, what you talk about there, you know, how kind of, I think, you know, people have turned to nature, uh, particularly over the last 12 months. And, you know, people have suddenly, you know, I think the the number of people wanting allotments went up and people enjoying wild spaces has, of course, gone up. But I wondered, Poppy, what's your take on how do we keep that going? You know, really, as the world goes back to that rhythm we were in before the hamster wheel as we all know it particularly in western society how do you think we we keep people connected to and 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 wanting to carry on the, the road that they found themselves on over the last 12 months i don't think it's going to be such a hard task because i think that when you catch the bug you catch it and it sticks so i think that it's something that once you've had that experience it's kind of there latent in the back of your mind to come back to when the time is right keeping the momentum going is also like really important for example having conversations like these but I think yeah I think the interest has been sparked and I don't think it's going to be easy to put that one out because it is just so empowering engaging with the natural world and growing food it's like you can't really stifle it i don't think no and it's that thing of we said when it actually is innately in you which it is yeah i think yeah. You, you just it just needs that little spark isn't it it's like a little yeah. jump start to go it's there don't worry yeah, yeah, i think yeah. society and pressures have actually just nullified it and pushed it down pushed it down we just need to bring it back up in a way exactly exactly and you know i hope that as we go forward more and more opportunities will rise to help people to, you know, engage with allotment spaces or community gardens. Because as you said, there's like such long waiting lists. And I think that the opportunities will start to come as more pressure is put on from the public because, you know, we've realised that we want that and we need it. I'm going to ask you for some of your, your, your tips and tricks. But before that, you know, I wondered... How- being someone who really is a living, breathing example, having gone from maybe being caught in a bit of the really caught in the Western world trap, which we all are, you know, from your career in modelling to then actually making the changes and shift to where you find yourself now, Poppy. What were your biggest difficulties? What were the hard things about making that change? You know, because I'm sure there might be people listening and even myself a bit going, God, it's quite, it's quite a scary thing to do, but you, you did it. But what were, what were the challenges? It felt like I got to a stage where I didn't have much of a choice. Like, I think there was a breaking point where it was like actually the benefits of transitioning into a different lifestyle far outweighed any of the benefits of staying where I was at. I think the biggest fear for me was finance because of course like the way our society is set up like it's hard to make money unless you're engaged in that hamster wheel you're talking about. So yeah trying to figure out an alternative way of making money that was probably the scariest thing but yeah I got creative and like here I am and it's all fine so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, we worked out yeah I mean I think I've got a long you know for me personally for what I'd like to where I'd like to be I feel like I still got a long way to go because I would love to be in a place where um I can provide my own food and energy and kind of offer like an example of how that can be done in a really achievable way to to start out with it was just kind of like actually just small changes I suppose and and once you start like aligning yourself with what you believe in just the feeling of being like oh like I'm doing what I believe in is just so amazing because you feel like you're not like hypocriting yourself every day and I think that made it like once you start once I started I was like okay this is a good thing to do I don't know if that's a very 
clear answer to your question. It really, really is. But off that, what I will, <laughs> will ask is you kind of you mentioned there about changing personally. You still want to to work on and, uh, and make happen in a bigger sense. And one of the biggest things I've learned from this first series of Call of the Wild is, you know, we absolutely all have a duty individually and responsibility to, to make the changes and, and do the right thing. But in the same breath, so many of the big seismic systemic changes we need we can try and force the hand but it has to come from legislation and governments and ceos and big businesses and there's a whole thing we've learned you know the whole thing of putting the responsibility on the individual is a cop-out on their part what changes poppy would you like to see over you know over these next few years now especially you know we've got cop 26 coming up and stuff um what are some of the things you'd like to see I'd like to see access to nature and understanding about food and where it comes from put into the education system, like for schools to have growing spaces and for kids to be able to learn like where food comes from and how food can be grown sustainably to become part of like mainstream education. Um, Because I think that, yeah, giving kids that like initial contact is so important. Because I think in school, it's so easy to be like, oh, climate change is this, it's this thing separate and far away. But when we start to like, have experiences that are really tangible, like we're talking about in the allotment, etc. I think that's when it really sticks. So for me, I think like the most incredible thing would be for kids to be able to have really meaningful contact with nature. um, And to understand about where food comes from. And my final question, which I round off every conversation with on Call of the Wild, is what brings you hope? What brings me hope is probably what you were touching on earlier about the incredible power of the natural world to regenerate. You know, um, when we step aside, so much can happen. I think that gives me hope, (laughs) even if we just screw up totally. Like... (laughs) things will go on without us <laughs> yeah so true it's up to us whether we want to be a part of it and and poppy yeah. i we have to mention it because of course brand new wwf ambassador a massive wholehearted congratulations and you really are a part of the, the wwf family now and i'm really excited to see kind of what you do where it goes and also what we might be able to do together as well poppy oh, be a real thank treat. you that's such kind words And that was more from my chat with Poppy Okocha. And I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did, please do give us a rating or a review on your podcast app to help more people find the podcast. Honestly, it really, really helps. And if you could please subscribe, that would be absolutely amazing. Not only does it help us, but that means you'll be the first to hear about Series 2. My name is Kel Spellman and once again just to express my utmost appreciation to you for listening to this series and joining me on this journey. I hope you've enjoyed it, learnt some things along the way, feeling a little bit more hopeful about the future and feeling inspired to take some action. Remember, together we absolutely can and will change the world. Call of the Wild is a fresh air production for WWF. The wild is calling, it's time to act. Peace and love. Oh,